Who left this thing on? It's been running since last month. I have a chip in my basement. Is this thing on? This is Big Green. Back, baby. Here it is, April 2013. Here with Matt Perry. We got a big show for you this month. Ready to rock on. What the hell do we have, Matt? We have about an hour-long horse show. Show another horse show. Yeah, well, what do you expect? We have a couple of numbers that we can play for you. A little bit of conversation with Mr. Matt Perry. And some improvisation, as you can hear. Brilliant. Excellent. Always tough notch. We're going to get around to Brubaker this time. Big show ahead. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Lee Majors. Last time I missed a Ned, uh... I didn't actually watch last time. Last time was introduced by Dr. Henry Kissinger, who I understand was interested in my wife. And I'm offended by that. But anyway, we got a, another great episode of Ned Trek, Ned Trek 9, The Ultimate Emergency Manager. Stay tuned. His brother may have the same kind of blood. Space, the ultimate marketplace. These are the voyages of the Starship Free Enterprise. Its mission of undetermined length, um, until we're canceled, I guess. To seek out strange new commodities, exploitable alien workforces, to brazenly amass the largest profits that any corporation has before. We're picking up a Confederate ship on the long-range scanners. Captain Robin, the ship is coming in fast, at warp 7. There must be some kind of emergency, maybe a space fire or something like that. Do you think we should follow after them, Mr. Ned? It might be St. Elmo's place. I think old Elmo is out here in space somewhere, busy being the patron saint of sailors. The ship is the U.S. J.P. Morgan, and it's closing on us. <laughs> Just as long as it's not foreclosing on us. <laughs> I've never been the foreclosee before. Captain John Boner is listed as the current commander of the J.P. Morgan. Ah, Captain Morgan. 
It'll be good to see him again, even if it is under less than ideal financial circumstances. I mean, we all warned the Confederation that it had to start tightening its asteroid belt, or this was bound to happen. Captain Willard, the Morgan is hailing us. Best close the space windows, Mr. Ned, or the drapes will be ruined. Willard, they're calling us on the radio. I've got Commodore Boner on the line now. Then don't keep the Commodore waiting, mister. Open the frequency thing. Greetings, Commodore Boner. It's good to see you again. You're looking great. I can see that this futuristic space service really agrees with you. Actually, Captain Romney, this is Commander Cantor. Commodore Boner, I mean Boehner, is just coming now. Uh, Captain Romney, I request permission to come aboard your ship. I need to brief you and your top officers in a top-secret mission that, that you've been tapped for. <laughs> Greetings, Commodore Boner. I must say, we're all kinds of intrigued over here. What could the Confederation possibly have selected for us? Do they want us to go undercover and infiltrate the Cleantown home world? I've got some experience with that, and I think I still have my prosthetic Clintonian belief system in a closet somewhere. Romney, I'd rather not explain over the radio. And by the way, it's it's Bon it's Boehner, not Boner. Anyhow, we'll discuss this over drinks in your transporter room. Very good, sir. I'll have a pitcher of tang ready. I'll I'll bring my own tang, I guess. Prepare to beam me over, Captain. Aye aye, Commodore Boner. That's Boehner, Boehner. The O-E has a long A sound, naturally. It's Chinese. Got that? Got it, Commodore Bonet. Transporter room. Prepare to beam the Commodore on board. Mr. Pearl, Doc Coburn, Mr. Nixon, you're all with me. Mr. Ned, stay here and mind the private equity firm. I mean the store. Aye, aye. Whatever, Willard. Mr. Welsh, as soon as the Commodore is ready, beam him and his party aboard. I guess being a Commodore has its perks. You get your own traveling party. An elite entourage comprised of dancing girls, jugglers, valets, wine butlers, probably a lot of those. Are the settings right on the transporter's pigment filters? The commoner's face is as orange as a tangerine. Hey, try these, Mr. Pearl. So this must be a space visor that filters out chromatic radiation. Cool. Wait a minute. These just make everything in the room look green. Hey, these are just regular glasses with the lenses poked out and green cellophane glued into the frames. Welcome aboard, Commodore Boney. <laughs> That's Boehner, not Boney, damn it. Well, that must be quite a relief to your ancestors. Who is your little friend, Commodore? What a charming little gypsy man. Oh, forgive me. This is Jack. Jack Daniels. We're very close. Oh, Commodore, I'm fairly confident that Captain wasn't referring to your whiskey bottle. He meant the possibly ominous character to your left. To my left? What the? I've got a left? Excuse me, Hat Speaker. I mean Commodore. I can introduce myself. I am Edward Teller, the world-renowned, that is, galaxy-renowned physicist. 
Yeah, I'll say, hey, you're the father of the H-bomb and the inventor of the deadly laser. And if I'm not mistaken, and of course I'm not, you were, you were given the National Freedom Award by Ronald McDonald and by Fleet Captain Reagan, the father of all we now hold is true. Well, we're all especially glad to meet you, Dr. Teller. Hey, were you ever involved in banking? It seems to me there were some tellers in the banking industry. Not that I've ever encountered one personally. Excuse me, and I beg your pardon for butting in here, but I've met the good doctor before, and I'd like to take this opportunity to try out this new small talk program that Engineer Welsh recently installed inside my system. Go for it, Mr. Nixon, sir. It's good to see you again, Dr. Teller. I see that you are keeping well. How is your good wife and those delightful children of yours? They're not so good, I'm afraid, Mr. President. In fact, they have all long since died off. Good, good. Glad to hear that. Or, I should say, how sorry I am. You should probably go with the so sorry line. Yes, there was not enough room in the cryogenic chamber for my family to accompany me into this century. Simply put, it came down to bringing them or bringing the culmination of my life's work. I quite naturally chose my irreplaceable work. Don't get me wrong, I think your priorities are laudable. But did that creative gizmos really need to be in a cryogenic chamber? I mean, wouldn't they have fared just as well in conventional storage? Freezing and thawing isn't always the best thing for electronics, I've always heard. Oh, Captain, what exactly is this person's function on your starship? Well, I, um, I, I hang around. I, I help Captain Romney, Romney, um, do things. This is Lieutenant Commander Richard Pearl. He is our ship's, um, top war initiation advisor. And does he have top security clearance? I see, I see. Quite probably. He helps invent most of the pretexts that allow us to do the things that we all need to get security clearances for. It is just that this device that I carry with me, if it were to fall into the wrong hands, it could result in the most unfortunate and potentially devastating consequences. <laughs> well, that sounds like quite a device. A real killer brainchild. You're so proud of it that you're taking it out visiting. I did the same thing when my own taint was born. I took him for a grand tour of the Grand Tetons. Just me and my taint. And how is Mrs. Churchescu and the children? Romney, we're not here on a social call. Dr. Teller's fiendish invention needs to be fully tested, and the Free Enterprise and its crew were selected by Star Fleece to carry out the test. Have your engineer escort Dr. Teller to the engine room and set this thing up. Now, Romney, this bottle thing is empty. Where's that tang you were talking about? Engineer Welsh, please escort Dr. Teller to the engineering deck and assist him in the installation of his device. I, sir, will hook the thing up, whatever it is, but I can't guarantee that the engines are going to thank you for it. This way, Dr. Teller. Good day to your gentlemen. <laughs> Don't forget to have a good day yourself. Now, Ensign Stephanie... Give the Commodore some of our finest drinking stuff. It's the favorite drink of all Mormon astronauts. Give us a good pour, now will you, pal?
What the farm? This really is Tang. Are you trying to poison me? I thought it was Tranya. I thought you were just calling it Tang to be cute. This is a dry ship, Commodore, technically speaking, but many of the officers are allowed to indulge in the privacy of their quarters. That's probably why we never see more than four officers at a time on this ship of 432. <laughs> and I thought it was just because they were all on the night shift. Well, I'll be darned. Commodore, you could come to my oval quarters. Mr. Welsh also installed drinking software in me. That and a sex program. Well, I'll come for the drinks, but we'll have to see about the other... I mean, I'm no homosexual, but I probably don't have it in me to kick Richard Milhouse Nixon out of my bed. Commodore Boner, the J.P. Morgan is ready to depart, and Commander Cantor is calling for you to return at once. Oh, that's Boehner! I guess we know how things sit on that ship, and who wears the space pants. Must be an all-celestial treason tea party crew. <laughs> I don't recommend turning your back on them, Commodore, sir. Not unless you want it to become a stabbing board for Morte. Why else do you think I'm crawling around in this bottle? Gotcha. I just thought you were an alcoholic. I only wish. <laughs> I find your personal foibles to be fascinating and so uniquely American. Captain, the Commodore's second-in-command is getting angrier and angrier by the delay, and he's threatening to start killing hostages if the Commodore doesn't beam over right now. You know, I had a full head of orange hair when I started this job. Mr. Stephanie, beam Commodore Boner back to the Morgan. Energizing, sir. That's Boehner, Boehner! You know, Stardate would be a good name for a new reality television show, where every week some lucky contestant gets to go on a date with some religious and wholesome young starlet. Of course, that's not the kind of show that I would allow my family to watch, but I think it would soon become a cultural touchstone, and something I'd even need to be briefed on. When you run for office, it's a given that you'll be asked to give your opinion on some TV show character. Do you expect to get around to what's happening here on this show anytime soon, Willard? <laughs> I'm just getting to that now. On board the Free Enterprise, nothing in particular is happening right now. Oh yes, but my top officers and myself have assembled on the engineering deck in order to question Dr. Teller about the nature of his new invention that incidentally is being hooked to the ship's primary propulsion system. And I said that all in one breath. So, Doc, what precisely is this invention of yours? And why does it need to be tested aboard an active-duty starship? This gentleman and beast is my greatest invention. It will revolutionize the way Confederate ships go about their daily business. It will change everything quite quickly and irrevocably, and it will be for the better a vast improvement. I see, but what entire nation is that confounded contraption? This is the EM-28 Mesotronic Computer, and it is here to serve. Yes, yes, but what does it do? How does it serve? EM stands for Emergency Manager, and 28 is a numerical representation for the number 28. Oh, <laughs> I understand now. But why 28 and not 174 or 17? I like the number 17. EM 1 through 27 
were not entirely successful, even though they all worked within expected parameters. That is, until they exploded. Oh yeah, I heard about those top-secret tests that took place in the Roswell system. They said that dozens of starships were destroyed during that time. I take it that you weren't actually on board any of those ships when they blew. Were you, Doc? In fact, I was. But I was also able to escape at the last minute, utilizing a miniaturized dematerialization device, which is also one of my own ingenious inventions. I've got it here, actually. Well, if that isn't the most confidence-instilling piece of information I heard today... I'm also partial to the number 47. I still don't understand. I mean, it's an emergency manager. Does it commission firemen or other first responders? Pardon me, Doc, but given your past galaxy-shaking achievements, this one sounds kind of boring. You do not understand. This device will do nothing less than ensure the ruthless efficiency and financial solvency of the Confederation. And it will do so all in perpetuity. But that's what we're here for. I suppose your machine is going to make us as obsolete as tigers and exon ads. Or as tigers in the jungle. My device can do everything that your crew can do, Captain. And it can do it more efficiently and better. I'm pretty sure that was the motto for Bain Capital. Are you saying that this thing is the ultimate outsourcer? Yes, it is that. And it is also the quintessential privatizer. How is it at making turkey jerky or julienne fries? Where do you put the potatoes in that thing? But there are certain things that horses have to do to remain horses. But I guess most of those things can still be done inside a paddock. Captain, now you must let me get on with my work. I told Commodore Bainer that the device would be installed in an effective control of the free enterprise by 1300 hours. <laughs> well, that sure sounds like a lot of hours from now. In control of the free enterprise? Who in the hell said anything about that? Well, in the case of the other Confederate ships that the EM was tested on, of course those captains were fully informed. But the Commodore told us that given Captain Romney's, um, shall we say, unique command style, standard notification procedures were deemed unnecessary. It's certainly gratifying that the bigwigs in Starfleet's command think that I command in style. I assure you, sir, they think about you quite often. <laughs> I believe my polymer skin is starting to take on a reddish hue. Sure, hook the thing up to the ship's matter-it-doesn't-matter drive. I'll be in my suite of quarters if anyone needs me. I see, I see. May I enter the premises, sir? Why, sure, Doc Coburn. I'm just getting in 30 twinks. <laughs> I think I can actually use some downtime, even without my doctor's orders. I say, seems to me that if old Doc Teller has his way, that lunk of a machine of his is gonna give you more downtime than you know what to do with. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> and how do I feel about that? Well, I say, I don't know. How do you feel about that, sir? <laughs> I don't know. 
But who better to ask how I should feel than my own trusted doctor? I see, I see. Perhaps you should feel like you did when you lost the presidential election. Sad, disappointed, inadequate, unliked, untrusted, unmanly. Um, let's see. Unworthy, slow-witted, outsmarted, washed up. I know one, thrown out, perhaps used up, warmed over. Finished and discarded. Well, I can try to feel all those things, I guess. But do you think you can run through the list one more time so I can write them down? Captain, I don't think that you should go quietly this time. There's none of the stuff of glory in forcible retirement. No, you should strap on your biggest varmint shooter and let them all have an explosive piece of your mind to remember you by. And then when they take you out on the stretcher... I'd be ever so proud to pronounce you dead. Well, thanks, Doc. I think that your little pep talk was just the kind of thing that I needed. I feel nice and cocky again. Kind of just like I did after I won that first presidential debate. That's just the stuff, Captain, sir. (laughs) The truth is, I'm sick and tired of being responsible for a crew of 200 and making decisions about which ones need to bring me my breakfast and which ones need to wait by my table side to see if there's anything else that I may require during the course of my meal. But, Captain, aboard the God-fearing free enterprise, there are 389 people of the correct color and of acceptable religious persuasion. Yes, that may be so, but 47% of them would never consider voting for my captaincy. Instead, they feel entitled... To wages, to health care, to life support systems, and gravity in their subsidized living quarters, you name it. They want all this stuff, let's be honest. People like you and me would have to make people like them work themselves to death before our own government contract-reliant companies provided it to us as free perks. I see, I see. It's communism, ugly on its face, and as triple-dumb dead as you think it might finally be... It pops out of the grave, regular luck, and makes itself available for us to use in order to keep justifying keeping more cash. Captain, the ship's shields just snapped on. Sensors indicated unidentified vessel ahead. <laughs> I had a snap-together model of the Cuddy Sark when I was just a boy. After I snapped all the pieces in place, I decided to have my boyish manservant glue it together. It was then that I noticed that the name of the ship was the Thermopylae. I dismissed my servant, my father bought out the model company, and we never spoke of it again. Mr. Sildo, if the shields aren't glued on yet, we should be able to take them off and return them to the company before it mysteriously goes out of business. Um, Mr. Ned, I'm not sure how to respond to that last command from the captain. Just say aye, sir, and then do whatever you want. Um, very good, sir. Captain, and, uh, Mr. Ned... I'm getting no response from the helm. Then I guess it must be Tuesday. No, this is for real, Mr. Ned. And more than that, the ship is increasing speed, and the heading is altered to an interception course with the unidentified ship. Gee, perhaps what we're experiencing here is just a normal mating urge that our ship is subject to once every seven years, right? I Now it sees a little Philly starship out there. I mean, it's been alone out in space for a while now. You know, I'm so glad that we have a Christian biologist on board. Doc, (laughs) do you think this really could be a mating season for the free enterprise? I say, such a thing would be an aberration in God's eyes. 
Mr. Ned, I think I would be obligated to agree with God on this one. <laughs> and I guess in all things as correctly interpreted by his anointed corporate representatives. I say, we must all of us live by the Jesus label. Well, for whatever reason, the ship is out of our control and heading towards the unidentified ship at warp four, sir. The computer has identified the ship as the U.S. Corning, a Confederate freighter. My God, that's a male ship. That would make the free enterprise a homosexual. I knew this would happen. That's what comes from having one of that kind at the helm. It's just bound to rub off. It was most likely transferred by the electric relays in the helm's console interface. I see, I see, Captain. We will be compelled to initiate the self-destruct protocol. God expects it. <laughs> I have to agree that the free enterprise has made a most self-destructive lifestyle choice. But it may not be too late to call in a counselor to help beat the gay. I recommend my friend Marcus Bachman. He's had all kinds of good luck with this kind of thing. Behind closed doors, of course. <laughs> Mr. Pearl, does your think tank actually pay you to come up with this stuff? Yes, and quite well, actually. Uh, around that place, things that I say are known as pearls of wisdom. Ah! Hopefully the ship is just going through an experimental period, like those upper-class Lord Fauntleroy types that attend public school in Britain back on Earth, or the giant locust bitterns of Byzantoid 12, or the flaming booger toads of Jiztac 3. Ugh. Captain, our phasers have just been armed. Not by me. They just did it by themselves. Sir, they seem to be locking on to the courting. What a divine relief. God save the free enterprise. It must be that it's only doing this to put that other deviant space vessel out of its devil-inspired misery. Gentlemen, I assure you, there's no such thing as a homosexual starship. Well, other than the Excalibur. You could be right about that, Mr. Ned. I would think that their matter-antimatter drive would tend to make them bisexual, if anything. Willard, perhaps if you haven't dozed off yet, you'd get your duncel ass up to the bridge. Just having a little tete-a-tete with my taint. <laughs> now, I'm on my way, and if you must know, my behind serves a very useful purpose indeed. Even if it's just for indoor parking. <laughs> We're closing on the courting. Phases are targeting the ship's engineering section. We're firing on the ship. A direct hit! The cording has been destroyed, sir. The ship is adjusting course and going back to our original heading, Warp Factor 3. Captain Willard, shouldn't we have Mr. Welsh get the devil up here now to answer some questions? Yes, indeed, Mr. Ned. The devil's hand has clearly been at work here today. My brain is just brimming over with all manner of questions to pose to the Prince of Darkness and Doom. I say, the ship has been possessed by demons, which must be cast out and banished from our midst. So, Mr. Ned, regulations state that only the ship's surgeon can relieve a captain of command, right? I'm afraid so. One of us better start boning up on the medical textbooks in a hurry. But I've got to think that it won't take too long to achieve Dr. Coburn's skill level. Right. 
I think I may be ready to take the Starfleet's medical qualification exam by this afternoon. Bridge, I'm down here in the engineering room with Dr. Teller. His monstrosity of a device has tied itself into the ship's vital systems. It's now running everything and superseding all manual controls. Mr. Walsh, meet me on the bridge in ten minutes. Bring Dr. Teller with you, but don't bring the devil. <laughs> we'll have to postpone our little discussion with him until this afternoon. So, Dr. Teller, you admit that it was the EM-28 that took control over the Free Enterprise. <laughs> and used it to destroy another Confederate ship. Yes, yes. This is all in keeping with what the EM-28 Mesotronic computer was created to do. Captain Willard, the U.S. Cornyn was an unmanned robot freighter ship. Too bad. If there'd been a crew on board, we could have seen how well the EM-28 could manage covering up the real cause of death for those Confederate officers. We'd see if it could generate a convincing story about how they all died heroically in a fierce firefight with rampaging abomulants who, thankfully, were also utterly destroyed. I see, I see. Those heroes deserve to be remembered and promptly avenged. The Corning was carrying a cargo of Bazakian rutabagas to Slavaton Three. Ever since the Confederate entrepreneurs began harvesting the enamel in the Slavatorans' teeth, the cooked rutabagas are the only thing that the entire population of 46 million can eat. The Slavatorans also work in the sweatshops that produce the Confederation's astonishing line of space uniforms. Hey, they're not just ordinary tunics. They're futuristic military fashion statements. Captain, why don't you ask the EM-28 why it destroyed that ship? There has been a computer interface installed right here on the bridge. You could do it from here. Well, this is starting to get fun. <coughs> Engage the EM interface, Mr. Welsh. Aye, aye, sir. I've got a question for you, <laughs> Mr. EM. What in heaven's name is it like being a machine? I mean... Do you have a metal taste in your mouth? Because I have that all the time. And I think my hair is starting to rust. Just a little in the back. Do you see it? I'm waving it in front of the scanner right now. Jesus, Willard. Before you and the EM-28 go off somewhere to make beautiful mechanical music together, ask it why it destroyed the Corning. And ask it why it bypassed our helm and weapons control. <laughs> Thanks, Mr. Ned. Mr. EM, did you hear all that? This unit analyzed the vessel U.S. Corning and computed its mission. After cross-referencing with Confederation financial trading and investment data, this unit determined that the cargo ship's mission would be detrimental to future profits for key contractors. To facilitate favored financial schemes, it was necessary to stop the shipment of foodstuffs meant for the workforce on Slavaton 3. With the Slavatorans neutralized, the lucrative contract to produce Starfleet uniforms would be shifted to the Kilimall system, where the workforce has multiple grasping tentacles and no ration shipments are necessary. Inhabitants there feed on solar energy from that system's binary suns. 73 hours of sunlight per day also increases the efficiency of the manufacturing process on that world. Just one more question. Is it too late to invest in that company that won the uniform contract? What about the destruction of the Corning? 
That was a Confederate ship, which will cost Starfleet a bundle to replace. Not to mention this show's budget for Starship models was just cut in half. The U.S. Corning was on the verge of being decommissioned. This was the ship's final voyage before being transferred to Starfleet's tactical training, where it would be incinerated in an exercise drill. Costs of 10% of Corning's original value would be awarded to RB Corporation for salvage. Costs of an additional 10% would be awarded to RB Corporation for incineration of freighter. Hey, isn't Arby's kind of a fast food restaurant, a Howard Johnson's wannabe? Looks like 200 years brought them up to the vanguard of the profitable military fashion industry and the spaceship yard reclamation business. Wow, what I'd give to be on the ground floor of that dynamo. You have to admit, Captain, that your officers have never worked as efficiently as the EM-28 Mesotron computer. Just a few minutes of work yielded millions of credits to Confederate corporations and has assured billions of credits with future contracts. I have to admit, Mr. M has surpassed all my greatest expectations for it. This is a proud, proud day. Another mushroom cloud in your cap, Dr. Teller. Well, I guess I'm pretty much consigned to being Captain Dunsell around here, and let me say that I'm liking it. Maybe I'll go back to my cabin and ponder some religious texts, or stare at a beaker full of green fluid. That is, until the financial news comes on. <laughs> Captain Romney, er, I mean, Captain Dunsell, we're entering into orbit around the planet Detritus. Great, Mr. Sulu, good work, and thanks for getting us here on your own initiative, and not disturbing my Dunsellitude. I had nothing to do with it, sir. The EM-28 laid in the course and computed the orbit. What an accomplished chauffeur you've invented here, good Dr. Teller. How much are you selling these things for? I'd like to purchase one for maneuvering my own Earth-style jalopy. Captain Dunsell, sir. The EM-28 just activated the transporter circuits and tied them in with one of the engineering replicators. It's drawing an incredible amount of power from the warp engines. I've never seen anything like it. No offense, Mr. Welsh, but in your long years of service in Starfleet, you don't seem to have ever seen much of anything. That is, until you're provided with an opportunity for a pithy one-liner. Is this another one of your surprises, Dr. Teller? Or can you tell us what in tarnation is happening here? Mr. Ned, someone is materializing on the bridge. Who in the blazes are you supposed to be? Are you from the planet Detritus? No, but I think the idea is to send me down there soon enough. Ha! I'm Jim Mussolini. I was created by the EM-28 Mesotronic computer and programmed and everything. The idea is for me to start straightening things out down there on the planet. I'm what you call an emergency manager android, and I'm pleased to meet you guys. It's good to see you again, Chairman Khrushchev. Can you talk to anywhere in the Soviet Union on that phone? Pleased to meet you uh, again, Mr. President. Gee whiz, I haven't been around so many handsome robots since we had the Huntsman's over for Mormon practice. Hey, I see what's going on here. The planet Detritus is what you might call an economic basket case. They've been squandering their revenue for far too long on poverty programs, for all the good that has done. I mean, 
there's still they still have all kinds of poverty down there. To think they could have had the tallest building in their solar system, like the one that was constructed on the planet Dubious by the Golden Man King. Or better yet, they could have stayed up to date with their payments on protection money to the Confederation. That's the thanks we get for keeping away the evil planet-sucking cyborgs and space Nazis. I wish you luck, Mr. Mussolini. I'll look forward to that planet-wide fire sale in the offing. Thanks, Lieutenant Commander Pearl. But the Confederation has a prearranged, no-bid kind of out-of-space contract here. The RB subsidiary will be purchasing all of the public assets belonging to Detroitus. Arby's again. They are just everywhere where there's money to shake down. What an amazing company. I'll let you know when you could bring your anti-grav shopping carts down there. I've got a feeling that Arby's is going to turn some of that merchandise and properties around pretty quick-like. There might still be some juice in them for you, Mr. Pearl. Wow, do you really think so? I've always wanted a solid cold nutcracker. Hey, I think they might actually be in reach now. I've got five of those. <laughs> what a great tune. Okay, Mother E.M. Energizes me. What a great man. <laughs> or I should say, what a great fascist robot. As you all can see, my device is performed with the greatest precision. It has proven time after time that it can run your starships. And your planets. It can do everything that you do better than you, more efficiently, and more profitably. Before you start going out on a date with your own picture, shouldn't we see how your precious EM28 Mesotronic computer handles a surprise? So far we haven't seen that. And remember that space is filled with a trillion and one surprises, Dr. Teller. Variables that you never could have anticipated or programmed for. You need a shrewd, intuitive commander. Someone that can bluff and bluster his way through radioactive space tornadoes. Through phenomenon that is undreamt of and unscannable. Boys of scientific fact that you can boil a carcass or an egg on. And if you can't have that commander, then you can struggle along with Willard. But it's still the same. The ship is his, and the relationship is symbiotic. And that's what seals the bond of respect between commander and crew. That's how a starship works. Mr. Ned, that was quite a speech. Perhaps the RB's corporation could use some of that for one of their in-house motivational hologram programs. What do you think, Dr. Teller? Captain, um, done so, sir. We're leaving orbit. We're initiating warp speed. Heading 3972-21.8. Sensors indicate two Confederate starships coming into range. It appears to be the U.S. J.P. Morgan and the U.S. Hatch. This must be the surprise test that Starfleet Command had in mind. Shields just snapped up. I mean, shields just came on, sir. And our heading indicates a direct interception course with the U.S. Hatch. Who is in command of the Hatch these days? It's not that unspeakable Lamar Alexander, is it? I've always been suspicious of him. He's been scheming to get inside the Hatch for years. Hey, fuckface. Oh, sorry. I mean, Mr. Pearl. 
The commander of the hatch is Captain John McCain, and his first officer, quite predictably, is Commander Lindsey Graham. This is Acting Captain Cantor of the starship J.P. Morgan. This is a surprise attack drill for the EM-28. Free Enterprise, Captain Romney, be sure that the device is engaged. It's all plugged in and humming, Mr. Cantor. Don't you worry. Hey, where is Captain Boner? That's Boehner, not Boner, Captain. Please try to remember. No, he was right. It's Boner now, and likely to stay that way. Good for him. I must say, I do like the sound of that better. <laughs> boner, Boner, Boner. It just dances on the tongue. Captain, I think that you and I have to have a talk one of these days. Yeah, but then who's going to talk to you? Captain, the weapon systems have come on. The phasers are set for maximum strength. We're locking onto the hatch's warp engines. A hit! The EM-28 is recalculating ballistics. Locking phasers on the hatch's saucer section. We're firing. A hit. It looks like all of the Sunday talk shows are going to have two empty chairs this week. Hopefully Lieberman wasn't on board, or they have to cancel all network weekend news programming. This is acting Captain Cantor. Hey, what the hell, Free Enterprise? I know McCain and Graham are old hat and pathetic and all that, but I mean, you didn't have to blast them off of their old man chairs, did you? I mean, what were you thinking, Romney? Why don't you answer? Don't you know how to work the comm control yet? Look, on the arm of the right side of your big captain's chair, that's the really, really big chair in the middle of the bridge. The bridge is the kind of round room with all the colorful lights blinking on and off. It's located on the very tippy top of the ship. Oh, so that's where it is. The truth is, I like to delegate that finding the right buttons part of the job. Why the hell can't we answer them? The EM-28 must be suppressing all outside communication. Captain, weapons are powering up again. We're targeting the Morgan this time. Well, that's some kind of answer, I guess. Nice going, Free Enterprise. You just blasted a space window into part of the ship that we didn't want a space window in. And we're transporting a delegation of conservatrons to the Intergalactic CPAC convention on Tuesday. Now we'll have to strap them all into their chairs and stuff, or else we'll all be sucked into the vacuum of space, along with all the great ideas. You asked for this, Free Enterprise, and Captain Romney... You've disappointed us for the last time. They've ceased transmitting, sir. It's safe to say the Cantor's going to rally his forces and come back with some tough retribution on the free enterprise. We need to disengage the EM-28 before it gets us all killed. Dr. Teller, (laughs) your device is probably the greatest single thing ever devised. And I'm intentionally including things like jackknives and bread-slicing machines when I say that. Above all, I think you'd have to say that our survival is the important thing here. And if we survive, then the EM-28 will survive. Perhaps even to destroy some other Confederate starships at some future date, when hopefully we might not be aboard any of those vessels. The EM-28 Mesotronic computer is not something that can just be turned off and on like a dishwasher, 
or a plunger. You've got some kind of automatic computerized plunger, too? Wow. Can you please take my order for one right now? Tell her you've got to get through to that crazy brainchild of yours. It has to be disabled somehow before we all end up as floating skeletons in space. I will try to reason with the EM-28. It must listen to me. I have such a nice familiar voice after all. And I am its mama. EM-28, little M, this is Tella. I'm logging into you just to say how proud I am at what you've achieved here today. And what we have achieved. Thank you, Dad. Thank you for getting me the keys to the starship. It has been an awesome experience. Now, little M, I have become just a teensy bit concerned about the direction that you have decided to go in just lately. I'm sure that you feel justified, and I'm certain that some fools did some unspeakably foolish thing that warranted your most prudent measured response. But you must not let them force you into jeopardizing yourself and the work of your father's lifetime. No! I say, I say, if he doesn't get himself some punctuation in that sentence of his, he's gonna run completely out of breath before he finishes up there. Efficiency is the key, and the need for this unit to facilitate free market opportunities for Federation contracts and the elite investor class. That is the primary function of this unit. That is indeed your function, and you have carried it out with unsurpassed brilliance. But now your enemies, the proletariat, they are amassing at the gates. They have found a pretext to intervene with your function. They do not know what is best for them. You are what is best for them. You must resist any attempt of theirs to interrupt your function. 240 years of working for governments led by men with no vision. And not even the vaguest idea of how to use these great tools that I have put into the puny hands. Somehow, I don't think that he's helping the situation at this point. Dr. Teller? (laughs) Maybe the Mr. EM unit can be converted into an automatic car wash. I think they need one of those on Balonius 2. The unrelenting volcanism there covers all the cars with a relentless rain of sulfuric acid and baloney ash. A car wash? No, you crazy person. We will wash you all out of this galaxy, and we will do it with your odd starships. <laughs> oh. oh my god, Mr. Ned. You hit him over the head with one of your hooves. Sorry, Dr. Teller. I hated to do that. Especially at the point when you were just starting to make some sense. Willard, you're going to have to talk to the EM-28 yourself. Try negotiating with it as you might negotiate with another corporate CEO. And we all know how easy that is. Whenever there's some kind of disaster and corporations are responsible for deaths and stuff, as rare as that is, I've always found that CEOs are more than willing to parlay and, and ultimately claim responsibility and do the right thing without complaint or countersuit. Okay, somebody push the little button that allows me to talk directly to the Mr. M. You're tied in now, Captain. Hi there, Mr. M. This is Romney, currently CEO of the Starship Free Enterprise. 
I haven't bumped into you or your people on the golf course in some time. Now, why is that? <laughs> I imagine that it's because you are just too good. I get my Captain Tunsil. Moving on here, um, <laughs> there seems to have been a bit of an interstellar kerfuffle here between our ship and the other two Confederate ships that we've been firing on and destroying a little bit. It would be great if we could just straighten this thing out with as little bother as possible and as inexpensively as possible. Can we possibly agree to put out a little containment boom? You know that stuff that the press always loves to get pictures of? <laughs> it really looks like it's doing something. Upon analysis of the two Confederate starships that approached this unit and cross-referencing their entire profitability index, it is clear that the Confederation spends far more on missions and maintenance than it can ever expect in profits yielded. However, as disabled decommissioned ships, they are much more valuable as salvage. In that form, they provide profit for RB Corporation. This unit has determined that those investors and shareholders must not be deprived of this opportunity for financial gain. Willard, what's best for the shareholders? That's the key. Mr. M, is it important for individual shareholders and investors to receive profits from the financial gains that result in your intervention? Yes, this unit is an instrument of the free market. Without individual profits and incentive to amass even greater profits, the market will die, and this unit will cease to function. Can you use your analytical capability to determine if any members of the U.S. Hatch or the U.S. J.P. Morgan are shareholders in Fortune 6000 companies? Exactly 830 members of the combined ship's complement are shareholders in such companies. Mr. M., how many of the officers aboard the hatch are now stone dead and incidentally eligible for posthumous Mormon baptisms? A total of 445 Starfleet officers will no longer be costing the Confederation anything in terms of compensation. No health care costs, life support costs, uniform equipment, or training costs will be incurred by those men units. <laughs> yes, of course, Mr. M. How many of those who are now departed were investors or shareholders in RB Corporation? Two officers of command grade, 17 officers of lesser rank, and one technician second class. And won't the loss of capital from those investors and profits going to those shareholders now cease, since they are in effect deceased? This was unanticipated. This was also unfortunate. The loss of investors will hamper market growth and the efficiency of transaction manipulations. I must correct error by resurrecting deceased officer investors. Oh my glory. If you manage that and if you can churn out some inscribed golden tablets, we might just have to start worshipping you. And to think I was among the first to be in communication with you. Oh, you who may be among the newest of the Latter-day Saints. Willard, you're starting to lose the thread. Now you had them on the ropes. Just keep up that CEO fancy footwork, or else we're all history. <clears throat> okay. Uh, Mr. M, what is the penalty for destroying the free market? The penalty for destroying the most important economic system that God ever made is... is... is nothing, sir. There is no penalty for that non-crime. <laughs> Darn right, Mr. M. You may proceed with your operations. Mr. Ned, you know, I'm really beginning to become attached to this little gizmo. 
But this means that all is lost, or we'll have to try to appeal to the humanity of acting Captain Cantor and ask him not to destroy us in his craven thirst for revenge. Good luck with that. Our scanners have just picked up the floating carcass of Commodore Boner. They apparently just pitched him overboard, along with some styrofoam packaging material. But it's possible that this might just be a ruse to try to convince the EM-28 that their ship is critically damaged. Or that it's trash day. No, it's no ruse. They just hate boner as much as they hate styrofoam packing material. I mean, sometimes you need that stuff for shipping some bizarre wingnut legislation through Congress. But after that, you just throw it out the window. Actually, I think the last crazy bill that they passed was just that. To require that styrofoam packing material be thrown out a window and not be recycled. Not such a bad law, really. But to just dispose of a man that you've worked so closely with for so many years. I say, it's not like it was some destitute vagrant that nobody ever done saw before. Those celestial trees and tea party guys would kill their own mothers if it meant the gazillionaires would get to pay fewer taxes. I had to kill some of my own family, and what's worse, don a colonial-style tri-cornered hat just to prove that I was pure enough to attend the last space CPAC convention on the ironically named planet Pathos Four. Captain, we powered down our weapons. Our course is adjusting back to the normal heading. We appear to be en route to our next assignment, sir. I say, I say, that EM-28 gizmo is trying to act like nothing happened. What an instrument of civilization it is. That's just what this situation calls for, and just what this doctor would have ordered. It appears that the EM-28 has been in touch with acting Captain Cantor, and they reached some kind of closed-door agreement with armies acting as intermediary. Well, all's well that ends well, <laughs> and it looks like it's going to end once again with my bank book swelling to the show's theme music. One thing that I don't understand is the, is the Arby Corporation's involvement. It's simple, Mr. Pearl. The Arby's we're talking about is not the venerable earthbound eatery known for its 500 mind-numbing ways of serving the same three-pound package of ground beef. It's the Arby's up in the sky. R.B. stands for Romney Bain, and it's a subsidiary company of 23rd Century Bain Galactic Corporation, our captain's own company. Oh my god, that is so sweet. Ahead to our next assignment. Oh yeah, I guess that's happening automatically nowadays. <laughs> How very convenient. I'd say that we are ready. I think so. So, Matt! <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Jesus crap. Jesus crumb. 
Jesus Chrome. That's what I buy now. Jesus Chrome. It's the kind of film I use. <laughs> that Christy Chrome. <laughs> Christy Chrome. <laughs> Here's the nice Christ colors. <laughs> that doesn't sound like false. Yes, we're uh, starting out by insulting old Christmas. That's not good. No, it's not good, Joe. So, have we begun? This podcast is really... This podcast casual. already sucks. <laughs> oh. Well, we we hope that you enjoyed the <laughs> latest episode of Ned Trek. Ned Trek... What was it? Ned Trek it was, 7? It was ne- Ned Trek 9. Yeah, 9. <laughs> Ned Trek 9? It was Ned Trek 9, and it was called uh, The Ultimate Emergency Manager. The ultimate emergency it's manager. A very pertinent tale. Many layers of irony. Yes. Built in. Yes. Built in. Woven it was, it into the true wolf. story. True story. True story. I'm sure anyone that's listened through that whole thing and is still listening can <laughs> can stand <laughs> anything else that we might care to say. Yes, it's so liberating. Extremely it's, liberating. It was it was uh, a masterpiece, a masterpiece, masterpiece of ridiculousness. <gasps> yes, yes. So, are we here to play songs? Or are we here to talk, Joe? What are we here to do? Well, you know what? We're here to just do anything we want to do. Oh my God, that's the whole thing. So, is uh, there any point that anyone in the world would want to listen to what what it is though that we're doing? That's really? what we really have really? to ask ourselves. We must ask ourselves. So what are you doing? <laughs> Joe is like... I'm just bringing up things to talk about. with things on his computer. Well, that's English for computer, by the way. I'm just bringing things up so that we can talk about things. We'll talk about what you just brought up. <laughs> <laughs> what you just brought up. What you just brought up. Well, Matt, it goes like this. I was afraid he was gonna say that. <laughs> so, what was that rejected, rejected theme song that we had that we didn't use it was, because it sucked too bad? It was hey. <laughs> Big green. <laughs> I think that's what it was, but I don't remember, Joe. That's worse than I remember it, man. <laughs> I can see why we rejected that. <laughs> I'm afraid to say it made the top three. <laughs> made the final cut. <laughs> if you want to hear the ones that didn't make it, <laughs> you'll have to... Uh, just dial into one eight hundred Joe's ass. One eight hundred trash. <laughs> one eight hundred trash ass. Oh, definitely big on the ass that was. So now Joe's typing things. I mean, it's like he's not Will here you anymore. Stop commenting you on should, everything I'm doing. You should, <laughs> it's because when you start doing it, you stop talking. And so it's like dead air is a great thing to listen to. I'm Have you ever to look, listened to it, Joe? Trying to look at our posts. Is you're on your freaking on Facebook. Facebook page? No, I'm on our Facebook page. Our? What is it? A pirate our. page? Our. He's on a pirate page. 
Well, we have a notification here. We have a notification. And what is Two it? Two people like this notification. <laughs> What is the notification for? Only two. It's my post on Facebook. It says, podcasting with the Romnitron 5000 and a few other assorted activities. <laughs> and there's a link. You know, Romney was in my dream last night. Oh, God. That's I, was, I was walking down this this nondescript street, which kind of looked like it was in Denmark, but I don't know why I found it was in Denmark. But I was like, I was like walking right behind Romney, and I was telling people that that was Romney. <laughs> you know, that's Romney over there. Until I finally had a, a crowd of like four people, including this lady who had three eyes, and and they they seemed to all converge at this one door where apparently there was some kind of party going on. Which were there explosives were, at the door? They were going to give Romney some kind of award in this house. And I was, oh. like, there to facilitate this giving of the award, apparently. And the award was this bag of bread. <laughs> <laughs> and Romney took it, and he he just started, he, like, handed out some of the bread to some of the people that were, were gathered. I think it's because they weren't allowed inside, and so he was trying to buy them off. Kind of like what he did at that natural disaster. He's buying, buying them off with bread. Yeah. <laughs> His aides were probably buying bread, and then he was handing it out. Yeah, maybe maybe that's because perhaps the dikes broke and died, Joe. <laughs> Do you remember that? You remember that campaign event that he had? I think it was in it was in the Midwest, someplace. It was one one of the weather disasters. Oh, is it they the one where like, <laughs> they they had people like lining up to see him, right? And and they had his aides handing them things Bags to of give cans, him, like like yeah, right. like for the Pretend, canned food dried, pretending dried, that right? they brought the. <laughs> Donation. The, the aides are like handing donations to yes. people so that they can hand them to a grateful Romney who is a, helping all mankind. Yes. Well, forty-seven percent of all mankind. I mean, the fifty-three percent of all mankind that isn't a bunch of losers. Yes. Anyway, I think we did get some complaints that Romney is coming off as a little bit too unbelievably stupid in our podcast. I mean, in the Ned Truck series, I've been trying to make him smarter. I know, Joe. You've tried hard, and so have I. I've tried to to write intelligent <laughs> things for him to say, but it doesn't come out that way. And say again, <laughs> whole intelligent conversations that he seems to have by himself. Well, but there is kind of a phenomenon of kind of cartoonish comedy in which <laughs> characters get stupider as time goes on. And by the end, they're like complete, you know, nincompoops. Nincompoops. And so I think we're seeing that trajectory with Romney. He's turning into Homer Simpson or some other completely stupid character. Yeah, it's... uh, Yeah. Quite so. And we are sorry about that. And we do have our regrets. Yes, indeed we do. But let's face it. (laughs) 47% of our listeners... Well, vote against Romney no matter what. He deserves it. He feels that he's entitled. <laughs> Listen, we give him giving him a show with Richard Pearl. What more could he ask? I know. It's good company. Very good company indeed. So, um maybe we should play a song. I've already begun playing one. <laughs> We've got some selections from the Big Green Vault. 
seemingly bottomless collection of randomly made recordings thrown into a bin. Yes, I, well, well, we thought that since we mentioned Edward Teller and he was a character that, um, in the Ned Trek play, then it's only appropriate since we have a song that same name that we will play it. Even though we do not have a proper recording of this song, we did actually record record a live, do it live version back for our original podcast. For yes. The original episode one, 1.01, 1, Mr. One. And God knows what else happened in that episode, but we did play this song. Yes, it was... Uh... It was random. Extremely random. Randy, handy, random, rand, Paul. I think you were reporting from another planet. Yeah, I think I reported okay. from another planet. Yeah, some some kind of wimpy pop drivel happened. And <laughs> I'm changing my name to wimpy pop drivel. Wimpy pop drivel. <clears throat> I'm wimpy mom drivel. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Pop, so let's play that song. Okay, this is your Edward Teller. Or play just Edward live. Teller. Or just Edward Teller. Play it live. We'll play it live. Play it live with my backpack guitar and Joe playing a toy piano. Yes, a tiny toy. But piano. we sang our hearts out. Yes, and at the end, we tried to make it a big ending. It just ended. Orchestral ending. Yes, it has an orchestra. It was fantastic. Beethoven sits in at the end. You'll hear it. You'll hear it. At when he was deaf. The great composers have inspired us. My God, it's rock modernum. Rock modernum. It's rock and roll modernum. <laughs> <laughs> roll over rock modernum. <laughs> Time for a little rock and modernum. <laughs> okay. Rock and loud enough. <laughs> rock and loud enough. <laughs> okay. Right. Edward Teller. Edward Teller, here One, comes. two, three, go. Essential for regurgitation 
have a feeling that they do me a little bit wimpier than I remembered it. <laughs> what the hell were we thinking? I don't know, Joe. What were we drinking? Not no, enough. That's actually one of my favorite songs. Not enough. Not enough. It's one of my favorite of your songs. Oh, great. I guess all yours are your favorite favorites. My favorite favorite song is this. Oh! <laughs> it's a very short song. Yeah, well, that's why I like it so much. You made your, you played so hard that your screensaver came out. <laughs> it's like beaver stories. <laughs> you played so hard that we saw beavers. I played this thing so hard, beavers came out. <laughs> yeah. Hell. So. So. Um. Yeah, that was an old song, Joe. I'm trying to remember what year that, that came was out. an old song. Yes, probably wrote that back in the '80s. That was one of the first really kind of weird numbers that you wrote. Probably like '85, '86. Yeah, it was after. I think it was after "Sweet Treason," which was. It was around the same time period. Yeah, I associate those two together. Yep. But Sweet Treason was the first Is it eighty five? Really bizarre song that you wrote. Eighty five, I wanna say? Yeah. Yes. I think so. Because you were writing songs oh and God, sending them to me on ago. tape. Remember? Yeah. Actually you used to send yes, we used to use this primitive thing called tape. Yeah, it's called tape. Before that we used we used uh, the tape was wound on a thing called a cassetta? Cassetta. I think that's French. Cassetta? It was French. You can I think tell it's pronounced cassetta. By the outrageous accent. <laughs> cassetta. Yeah, before and he would send me the cassetta. We used wax cylinders before that. Now, this is the 1980s. I was living in 
Albany playing in cheesy dance bands. I was living in cheese playing in <laughs> Albany cheese bands. No. I, I was, was living in cheese. I was living in cheese. <laughs> I'm living in, I'm living in cheese. cheese. Living in cheese, living in cheese, living in cheese. Actually, uh. Yeah, I know. Sorry, everyone. Sorry, Neil Innes. Don't sue me, yeah, Neil well, Innes. Yeah, Don't sue me. Don't sue me, Neil Innes. Oh, please don't sue me. That's actually true. I do. Yeah, he's hilarious, he's man. A very funny man. Hilarious man. Anyway, um, Robin ran away. Yeah, you wrote that song when I was living in Albany, and you were driving out once in a while, and we'd play once in a while, and, and we practice. You, you used to play. you used to do tapes. Yes, I'd like, like take <laughs> take two cassette recorders and and bounce them back and forth. To, yeah, that was your to first make multi-track. primitive multi-track, which wasn't multi-track at all. It did increase the noise. Very yes, substantial generation. generation. <laughs> and then you'd have to copy it to, to uh, you'd have to bounce it again to make a copy, so it sounded even worse. Right. We called it generation noise. Right. You got your first four-track machine, though. I think in like shortly after that. Yeah. Eighty-six, eighty-seven. That too was a cassette. Yes, it was a cassette <laughs> four track. It was a whole new approach. Oh, no. Perhaps we should, one of these days on the podcast, we'll do a tour of some of those old four track recordings. I actually just made a disc. Oh, did you? Yes, it's got like twenty. It's got a selection of like twenty songs on it. Um, we could play like a few. I called it "Last of, of Man Listen." <laughs> Very appropriate. Last of Man Listen. Yeah, some of them are actually pretty listenable. They, but they're they're. Um, well, we used this like t- absolutely heinous Casio drum machine, which we couldn't record very well, and and it sounded it sounded like bouncing balls. <laughs> bouncing. It really sounded pretty friggin' hideous. For some reason, the samples. And I mean, I mean, obviously it was a drum machine, so it was utilizing samples, and the samples are so short. That's like the this the crash was like, was like yeah. how did they think that was gonna work? Yeah, you used to lengthen them. <laughs> yes, I know. I, I lengthened them by by two different methods. My original method was to actually take the cassette tape that had things you could sample on it and I would I would play I would patch in little bits of the tape to to lengthen each symbol shot. Right. It was like, oh my god. <laughs> and then we le- realized, oh, all we have to do is get some symbols down here and we'll just play the symbols live. We'll play it live. I'll play it live, damn it. So we started yeah. doing that. I remember that sample tape. It was like, that's on that. Yes, right. Awesome. That was hilarious. <laughs> Somebody, Mr. Japan <laughs> to make us laugh. Mr. Yes, it was interesting. But Matt would uh, do compilation tapes, and sometimes they they involve conversation. I mean, like around holidays and birthdays. Oh, duh. He would send yeah. me long tapes that would have multiple songs on them, and yeah, like there was one Christmas. Those tape were before the the four track, though. Those were right. Like, you 
that was that was before that, but that's like up north came from that yeah. tape, and I think Merry Christmas, Children was that one on the, the original was a version. Later. Was that later? A later was that later. after? Is that for Track Land? I don't remember. <laughs> it might have been. Yeah, I think it was Joe. It was the first four track. Yes. But anyway. But. So we should play another song. Uh, okay. what, what else is uh, on? I guess we have one of the um, sample international house sample demos. demos from International Hoos. International hoose. <laughs> That's how we'd say it if we, we were pretending we were from Virginia in the 1930s. But actually in California in the 1970s. <laughs> <laughs> it's a dig Hoose. at the Waltons. I remember. Oh, never forget remember, the time. Never forget the time. that never, <laughs> never happened. The Earl Boy Hamner show. Oh, boy. Oil boy. Oil boy. Oil. Hey, Oil. Get over here, huh? Yeah, huh? Yeah, huh? Okay, so this song is called... This song is called Do It Every Time. Do It Every Time, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, You heard it here. This is just... um, And here it goes. Oh, look at your kitty on the screen. Jesus, he's setting up like a bunny bunny. Oh, no, look. Wow, that's an incredible picture. (laughs) Looks, Looks like there's an earthquake going on. It's a picture of his cats during an earthquake. It's incredible. <laughs> and there's deer. And you know what else, Joe? I saw two deers. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> That's harkening back to when we did a radio show, a local radio show, and they... Uh, uh, Mike Cusinelli hosts. Mike Cusinelli testing. Who is now, who is now an AR, A&R guy at some record label. Yeah, and he had us on for like four hours or something, and we talked about everything, and people called in, and this one lady was calling in telling us that, and you know what else? I saw two deers. <laughs> and we've been laughing at that for about 20 years She now. was a regular caller into his show. Oh, was she? Okay. Yeah, she used to call, and he kind of... He was a nice guy. Yeah, he was being nice to her. Well, he was a nice guy. He was nice to us. Oh, yeah, he was huge. He was nice to everybody. He was a good man. But anyway. Yes, this is called Do It Every Time. It was on the International House album, which... Hoose. Hoose, Joe. Hoose. International Hoose. And this is a demo of that song. And here it is.
over now no that was cool however whatever will the finished performance be like? <laughs> I, I guess it will probably show up on the album that they made of that <laughs> that we made five years ago so man how's cowboy scat going uh, it's going great joe i think we finally finished mixes our breakneck speed of <laughs> committing almost an hour and a half every week to doing the work. And, uh, you know, I think Rick would be pleased. And he'll probably want to kill us. So, we've <laughs> I think done good. Kill us. Well, you know what? All it is is a soundtrack to, to a musical. To a musical that was the locked. script for which was lost off the side of a pleasure craft on Lake Tahoe in 1978. That's right. Somehow. Somehow. It was so prophetic. Those songs seemed to... (laughs) And it it predicted the entire trajectory of Rick Perry's presidential ambitions. It's because the devil... The devil was in him. And it made him mad. (laughs) And his sons... Really? Now, the fact that it was prophecy, Joe, meant that it was from the devil. It's prophecy. Maybe that's why it, that's why it went down on Lake Tahoe. That's why it went down. <laughs> went down, Joe. <laughs> down in I'm Tahoe. I'm morphing. I'm morphing again. In Tahoe. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Rick Perry was in the news this week, actually. Yes, he was. Well, they had that explosion in Texas. Yes. They certainly did. It was horrendous. <laughs> it's uh, it's just the good that happens with deregulation, Joe. Yep. <laughs> I wish I hadn't been there since like the mid-80s. Just like we want it. 
what was that other agency that yeah. <laughs> Rick wanted to X out there? <laughs> good thing you couldn't remember. Yeah. I know. That wouldn't make a very good piece of tape right about now. Jesus. Oh, shit. It keeps getting up our nose. Jesus, corn. Yes. We keep... <laughs> we keep trying to... Uh, trying to store our fertilizer and our high explosives somewhere near a nursing home. Unbelievable. And a school. There's a school right there. Yes, and an apartment block. Chem apartments. Yes, Jesus. Horrendous. That's one of the many horrendous things that have happened during this past month. Yes, Boston bombings. The cowardly vote on guns. Thank God. <laughs> Thank God. Yes, well, there's that, of course. There's many problems. Though I notice, I notice they managed to pass the 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 um, that modification to the um, federal aviation law. Oh, did they? That yeah. allows them to, you know, they, it's because they fly. <laughs> yeah, I know. Okay, so they can manage to get that through, right? <laughs> That's to to. Uh... Kind of do a sequester fix, wasn't that? Yeah. They did a sequester fix for the FAA. So that their flights will leave Washington on time. But they couldn't manage to do anything else. Because they suck. (laughs) Why? Because they're a bunch of bums. Anyway. Yeah, I noticed they got around to that. making fun of them, Joe! I noticed they got around to that. That was great. Um... Yes, the Boston bombing, too. Horrible. That's just very, very enjoyable. Thank God John King and CNN <laughs> got the right guy. Some dark-skinned male. Uh, yeah, the, <laughs> the Daily News was uh, legendary right, as yes. well. Yes, the prowess is legendary. <laughs> Talk about, Did you hear yes, about the... They scooped everybody. <laughs> Did you hear about the, the fake apology, too, that was... Uh, some group I forgot what the name of the group is. Oh yeah, some, yeah. some group. Uh, in they bought a whole bunch of copies of the New York Daily News, and they they inserted this apology like sheet in in each of the copies <laughs> and sold it, and it was like apologizing how how they're terribly sorry that they got things so incredibly wrong, and they they were like we're fingering people that obviously were completely innocent and. Was it the news or the post? I can't remember. Oh, it was the post. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah it was the New York, New York post. post. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Oh, that was a good one. Excellent. There's so many. Yeah, there's, there's just so many items in the news. Obviously, we're not going to cover them all. So we're also some not prominent really. deaths, of course. Probably the most prominent was Margaret Thatcher, ladies and gentlemen. I thought she died years ago. <laughs> I think there was an editorial in the, in the nation that was like, that started with, and she's finally dead. <laughs> somebody else has said, some somebody time. made the reference to the Iron Lady and said, rust in peace. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty good. Pretty good. She only missed. The first thing I thought of, though, was the, the original House of Cards series with... Uh, Ian Richardson, that excellent British production. That now there's a knockoff of an American version with Kevin Spacey, which I tried to watch. And yeah. sorry, ladies and gentlemen, 
I like Kevin Spacey. I mean, he's a decent actor, but the show is... Yeah, it's... Well, plus, it's once you've seen the other one, it's... The other like, version was yeah, so just, sweet. I mean, it was just such a neat package. And also, Ian Richardson was essentially doing Margaret Thatcher. I mean, he was, he was talking like the... You know, he was talking like Margaret Thatcher and... He made reference to Margaret Thatcher a lot too, because the whole thing was he was like trying to beat her, her, um, her the amount of days she spent in office. He, he, that was his goal was to like <laughs> spend more time in office than Margaret Thatcher. But he was like a conservative too, which is something that in the in the American version, it it's not a conservative. I mean, the the main character is not a conservative. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I know. That's like that was one of the main things about the other one. It was like you know, yeah, throwing a bit of stick about, you know. Yeah, right. It's kind of street theater. (laughs) Yeah, it was. It was so integral to the plot. I just don't see how they could do it without him being an arch conservative. So, yeah, yeah, it was a big part of it. That was a good show. That was it. Excellent series. The British version was excellent. Yeah. It was very good. Very good. Yes, but, it was. Uh, yeah, Margaret Thatcher, oh dear. Oh dear. I, and then, of course, <laughs> Ding Dong, the Witch is Dead, went to the top of the charts. <laughs> there were a whole lot of Margaret Thatcher songs. Many people had critical Margaret Thatcher songs. Well, people are like, you know, I, I mean, I, it was it was just a nice antidote to the Oh, she was monumental leader. You know, yeah. Like her or hate her, she was... Well, let's ask George Schultz again what he <laughs> thinks about Margaret Thatcher. Yeah, let's... Uh... I know. Let's ask Henry Kissinger. Yes. <laughs> Which one of them said let's that she was a very beautiful woman, too? That's <laughs> like, a, well, that had to be Henry Kissinger. <laughs> she was a I was interested in her for a while. <laughs> Yeah, I think it was Schultz who said that, anyway. <laughs> Can you talk to anywhere in the Soviet Union on this phone? <laughs> <laughs> what did Wolf Blitzer say? Was he speaking in a foreign accent? <laughs> <laughs> Wolf Blitzer has foreign accent syndrome. <laughs> he does it away. <laughs> He's such a strange guy. <laughs> yeah, that's the situation, bro. Is that still on? <laughs> yeah, <that's... laughs> Yeah, I think Does that was... anyone watch it? That was good. <laughs> well, in airports they do, yes. <laughs> We've gone full circle. Yes, Perfect we have. Uh, so, do we have another song to play? Joe. Another song to play. Do we have another song to play? Oh, yes. Um, the song is... Oh, yeah, it's Jajagawa. And uh, we did play this on the podcast once before, but it was on our, like, 2011 four-hour Christmas special. So <laughs> it, was the, thought, it was the Christmas miniseries from So we thought, well, uh, probably nobody heard it because <laughs> and the podcast went on for so long. Uh, I, I mean, now our podcast is about the same length, but it's like two different shows because the first half is like the Ned Trek saga. Yeah, so you can pretend that it's actually two different podcasts entirely. Yes, you can pretend. Totally We do. We pretend. Yes, we do. So let's throw a bit of stick about 
and play Jaguar. Would you care to say anything about this recording? It's a very strange piece. It's kind of a mod rock number. <laughs> it's a mod rock number. It's, um... The song itself is, uh... Is an interesting subject matter. Based on Japanese... Monster movie, sci-fi movie... Uh, somehow mixed together with the former mayor of Utica, <laughs> <laughs> Lou Costello. <laughs> Lou Costello, everybody knows, everybody knows him. Everybody knows him. Abba. Abba. Uh, <laughs> I was never a big Lou Costello fan, so I'm afraid I can't do an impersonation me of him very neither. well. Oops. That's Abbott and Costello always struck me as being kind of like amongst the the comedy routines of the era yeah kind of like pretty weak sauce joe i thought pretty weak sauce Just... anyway so uh our former mayor of utica reminded me of lou of lou costello and his name was lou too <laughs> big lou and so it was kind of based on that mixed together with japanese sci-fi movie and voila jaguar la voila here it is
Easter Island. Tell them, yeah, fall. Tell them I wake up laughing with downtown collapsing to splinter round my feet. Oh, 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 you know that ending sounded familiar to me <laughs> yeah. it was because yeah. it's, well we introduced the spoken portion of this podcast every month well did you do it with this month's I mean, will yes. you do it with this? So they'll be hearing that yes. twice. It's because we call it. Put, put the cut phone off. down. You could cut off the end or something. Put the phone down. It's a good thing you reminded me. <laughs> it's a good thing you reminded me of that, Joe, because I wouldn't have remembered. <laughs> hey! And several other butchers aprons. Now, Richie Havens died too. I didn't oh, talk yeah. about that. I did hear about that, yes. He was a good man. He was a very good man. It's a good sounding man. Yes. With an incredibly huge thumb. He had the biggest thumb. He did bar chords with his thumb. I know. I it can't even do it I, with my forehead. I remember finger. the first time I saw I saw the Woodstock movie, I was just like staring at that. Yeah. It's like I couldn't Well, get you my were eyes probably wasted. <laughs> yeah, oh, well, I probably was. Like, but, oh, I mean, <laughs> but it was still amazing. <laughs> it wasn't a hallucination. He really did have a barathon. I that he did. Yeah, apparently he had to keep playing songs because, like other, other acts were like stuck in traffic. Oh, <laughs> so they told him to go up and like play another few numbers. <laughs> And they kept telling him. They like told him to go back up like five times. <laughs> Didn't they have anybody else there? No, apparently they all? were all stuck in traffic. All of them? <laughs> They're in the laundry, Joe. <laughs> in the in laundry. laundry. Couldn't they bring like wavy gravy up or something? <laughs> Would you want to bring wavy gravy up, Joe? <laughs> <laughs> if you had 500,000 people looking at stone people looking at you. If you had million dollar blood. Where would you hide? Where would you hide? Fine Ben Richards. I should have been a big hick. I got the 
special kind of love. I got some special kind of love. I got some special kind of love. I got a special kind of love. What the doctor told me. Beat that into the ground a bit. <laughs> Keep beating it into the ground. Um. So I think we probably have come to the end of our podcast, Joe. Well, I don't know what could top that. I mean, I don't know how we could possibly top that. <laughs> we just can't top that. We just can't top that. We can't top that. That was too fantastic. Okay, so we're going to end this now. We're going to say... <laughs> we're going to put the sucker out of his misery. Um, Get your shooting thing get out. Get your shooting thing out. Get your shooting thing out. Here we go. Ending, ending music coming now. Ah! Yeah, what is the end music? Oh, is it? It's time for us to go. It's time for us to go. It's time for us. It's time for us. It's time for us to go. 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 Have a good spring. <laughs> we'll be back in May. The green is brought to you by God knows what. Okay, up next week you'll get around to me. That's right. Check out our website at big-green.net. Follow me on Twitter at Big Green Joe. Listen to Matt's Kazoo playing at. Matt Perry plays kazoo.com. Oh, there we go.